0: Chapter 14 of Jurgen, a Comedy of Justice by James Branch Cabell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jurgen, a Comedy of Justice. Chapter 14 Preliminary Tactics of Duke Jurgen. So Jurgen abode at court, and was tolerably content for a little while. He loved a princess, the fairest and most perfect of mortal women, and loved her. Circumstance to which he frequently recurred, as never any other man had loved in the world's history, and very shortly he was to stand by and see her married to another. Here was a situation to delight the chivalrous court of Glathion, for every requirement of romance was exactly fulfilled. Now the appearance of Guinevere, whom Jurgen loved with an entire heart, was this. She was of middling height, with a figure not yet wholly the figure of a woman. She had fine and very thick hair, and the colour of it was the yellow of corn-floss. When Guinevere undid her hair it was a marvel to Jürgen to note how snugly this hair descended about the small head and slender throat, and then broadened boldly and clothed her with a loose soft foam of pallid gold. For Jürgen delighted in her hair, and with increasing intimacy loved to draw great strands of it back of his head, crossing them there and pressing soft handfuls of her perfumed hair against his cheeks as he kissed the princess. The head of Guinevere, be it repeated, was small. You wondered at the proud free tossing movements of that little head which had to sustain the weight of so much hair. The face of Guinevere was coloured tenderly and softly. It made the faces of other women seem the work of a sign-painter, just splotched in anyhow. Grey eyes had Guinevere, veiled by incredibly long black lashes that curved incredibly. Her brows arched rather high above her eyes, that was almost a fault. Her nose was delicate and saucy. Her chin was impudence made flesh, and her mouth was a tiny and irresistible temptation. And so on and so on. But indeed, there is no sense at all in describing this lovely girl as though I were taking an inventory of my shop-window. Said Jurgen. Analogues are all very well, and they have the unanswerable sanction of custom. Nonetheless, when I proclaim that my adored mistress's hair reminds me of gold, I am quite consciously lying. It looks like yellow hair and nothing else. Nor would I willingly venture within ten feet of any woman whose head sprouted with wires of whatever metal. And to protest that her eyes are as grey and fathomless as the sea is very well also and the sort of thing which seems expected of me. But imagine how horrific would be puddles of water slopping about in a lady's eye-sockets! If we poets could actually behold the monsters we rhyme of, we would scream and run. Still, I rather like this servant." For he was making a servant in praise of Guinevere. It was the pleasant custom of Golgirvan's court that every gentleman must compose verses in honour of the lady of whom he was hopelessly enamoured. As well as that in these verses he should address the lady, as one whose name was too sacred to mention, otherwise than did her sponsors. So, Duke Jurgen of Lograeus duly rhapsodised of his Philida. I borrow for my dear love the appellation of that noted but by much inferior lady, who was beloved by Erephis of Belses," he explained. "'You will remember, Poliger suspects she was a princess of the house of Scleraveus, and you, of course, recall Pisander's masterly summing up of the probabilities in his Heraclea?" Oh, yes, they said, and the courtiers of Gorgirvangar, like Mother serita were greatly impressed by young Duke Jürgen's erudition. For Jürgen was Duke of Lagraeus nowadays, with his glittering shirt and the coronet upon his bridle to show for it. Awkwardly, this proved to be an earl's coronet, but incongruities are not always inexplicable. It was Earl Giarmid's horse. You have doubtless heard of Giarmid, but to ask that is insulting. Oh, not at all. It is humour. We perfectly understand your humour, Duke Juergen. And a very pretty fighter I found this famous Giarmid as I travelled westward. And since he killed my steed in the heat of our conversation, I was compelled to take over his horse, after I had given this poor Giarmid proper interment. Oh, yes, a very pretty fighter and I had heard much talk of him in Legreus. He was lord of Or and Perso, you remember, though of course the estate came by his mother's side. "'Oh, yes,' they said, "'you must not think that we of Glaphion are quite shut out from the great world. We have heard of all these affairs, and we have also heard fine things of your duchy of Legreus, monsieur.' "'Doubtless,' said Jurgen, and turned again to his singing. "'Lo, for I pray to thee, resistless love,' he descanted that thou to-day make cry unto my love, to Philida, whom I, poor Lagraeus, love so tenderly, not to deny me love. Asked why, say thou my drink and food is love, in days wherein I think and brood on love, and truly find naught good in aught save love, since Philida hath taught me how to love." Here Jürgen groaned with nicely modulated ardour, and he continued, if she avow such constant hate of love as would ignore my great and constant love, plead thou no more! With listless lore of love woo death resistlessly, resistless love, in place of her that saith such scorn of love as lends to death the lure and grace I love!' Thus Jürgen sang melodiously of his Felida, and met thereby, as everybody knew, the Princess Guinevere since custom compelled him to deal in analogues, he dealt wholesale. Gems and metals, the blossoms of the field and garden, fires and wounds and sunrises and perfumes, an armory of lethal weapons, ice and a concourse of mythological deities were his starting point. Then the seas and heavens were dredged of phenomena to be mentioned with disparagement, in comparison with one or another feature of Duke Jürgen's Felida. Zoology and history, and generally the remembered contents of his pawn-shop, were overhauled and made to furnish targets for depreciation, whereas in dealing with the famous ladies loved by earlier poets, Duke Jürgen was positively insulting, allowing hardly a rag of merit. Still he was careful to be just, and he allowed that these poor creatures might figure advantageously enough in eyes which had never beheld his Philita and to all this information the lady whom he hymned attended willingly. She is a princess, reflected Jürgen. She is quite beautiful. She is young, and whatever her father's opinion, she is reasonably intelligent, as women go. Nobody could ask more. Why, then, am I not out of my head about her? Already she permits a kiss or two when nobody is around, and presently she will permit more. And she thinks I am quite the cleverest person living come, Jürgen man, is there no heart in this spry young body you have regained? Come, let us have a little honest rapture and excitement over this promising situation." But somehow Jürgen could not manage it. He was interested in what he knew was going to happen. Yes, undoubtedly, he looked forward to more intimate converse with this beautiful young princess, but it was rather as one anticipates partaking of a favourite dessert. Jurgen felt that a liaison arranged for in this spirit was neither one thing or the other. If only I could feel like a cold-blooded villain now, I would at worst be classifiable. But I intend the girl no harm. I am honestly fond of her. I shall talk my best, broaden her ideas, and give her, I flatter myself, considerable pleasure. Vulgar prejudices apart, I shall leave her no whit the worse. Why, the dear little thing, not for the ransom of seven emperors would I do her any hurt! And in these matters discretion is everything, simply everything! No, quite decidedly, I am not a cold-blooded villain. And I shall deal fairly with the princess." Thus Jürgen was disappointed by his own emotions, as he turned them from side to side and prodded them, and shifted to a fresh viewpoint. Only to find it no more favorable than the one relinquished. But he veiled the inadequacy of his emotions with very moving fervours. The tale does not record his conversations with Guinevere, for Jurgen now discoursed plain idiocy, as one purveys sweetmeats to a child in fond astonishment at the pet's appetite. And leisurely Jurgen advanced, there was no hurry, with weeks wherein to accomplish everything. Meanwhile, this routine work had a familiar pleasantness for the amateur coordinates matters, knowing that one thing axiomatically leads to another. There was no harm at all in respectful allusions to a love that comprehends its hopelessness. It was merely a fact which Jürgen mentioned, and was about to pass on. Only Guinevere, in modesty, was forced to disparage her own attractions, as an inadequate cause for so much misery. Common courtesy demanded that Jürgen enter upon a rebuttal, to emphasise one point in this, the orator was forced to take the hand of his audience, but strangers did that every day, with nobody objecting. Moreover the hand was here, not so much seized, as displayed by its detainer, as evidence of what he contended. What else was he to prove the Princess of Glathion had the loveliest hand in the world? It was not a matter he could request Guinevere to accept on hearsay, and Jürgen wanted to deal fairly with her. Well. But, before relinquishing the loveliest hand in the world, a connoisseur would naturally kiss each fingertip. This is merely a tribute to perfection, and has no personal application. Besides, a kiss, wherever deposited, as Jürgen pointed out, is, when you think of it, but a ceremonial, of no intrinsic wrongfulness. The girl demurring against this apothem, as custom again exacted, was, still in common fairness, convinced of her error. So now, says Jürgen presently, you see for yourself. Is anything changed between us? Do we not sit here, just as we were before? Why, to be sure, a kiss is now attestedly a quite innocuous performance, with nothing very fearful about it one way or the other. It even has its pleasant side. Thus there is no need to make a pother over kisses, or over an arm about you, when it is more comfortable sitting so. How can one reasonably deny to a sincere friend what is accorded to a cousin or an old cloak? It would be nonsense, as Jürgen demonstrated with a very apt citation from Napsicus. Then, sitting so, in the heat of conversation, a speaker naturally gesticulates, and a deal of his eloquence is dependent upon his hands. When anyone is talking it is discourteous to interrupt whereas to lay hold of a gentleman's hand outright, as Jürgen parenthesized, is a little forward. No, he really did not think it would be quite proper for Guinevere to hold his hand. Let us preserve decorum, even in trifles." "'Ah, but you know that you were doing wrong.' "'I doing wrong? I, who am simply sitting here and talking my poor best in an effort to entertain you? Come now, Princess, but tell me what you mean.' you should know very well what I mean. But I protest to you I have not the least notion. How can I possibly know what you mean when you refuse to tell me what you mean?" And since the Princess declined to put into words just what she meant, things stayed as they were for the while. Thus did Jürgen coordinate matters, knowing that one thing axiomatically leads to another. And in short, affairs sped very much as Jürgen had anticipated. Now by ordinary Jürgen talked with Guinevere in dimly lighted places. He preferred this, because then he was not bothered by that unaccountable shadow whose presence in sunlight put him out. Nobody ever seemed to notice this preposterous shadow. It was patent indeed that nobody could see it save Jürgen. Nonetheless the thing worried him. So even from the first, he remembered Guinevere as a soft voice and a delectable perfume in twilight, as a beauty not clearly visioned. And Gugirvan's people worried him. The hooked-nosed tall old king had been by Jurgen dismissed from thought, as an enigma not important enough to be worth the trouble of solving. Gugirvan at once seemed to be schooling himself to patience under some private annoyance and to be revolving in his mind some private jest. He was queer and probably abominable, but to grant the old rascal his due, he was not meddlesome. The people about Golgirvan, though, were perplexing. These men who considered that all you possess was loaned you to devote to the service of your God, your King, and every woman who crossed your path, could hardly be behaving rationally. To talk of serving God sounded as sonorously and as inspiritingly as a drum—yes, and a drum had nothing but air in it. The priest said so-and-so, but did anybody believe that gallant Bishop of Marion, for example, was always to be depended upon?" "'I would like the opinion of Prince Evroc's wife as to that,' said Jürgen with a grin. For it was well known that all affairs between this Dame Allendine and the Bishop were so discreetly managed as to afford no reason for any scandal whatever. As for serving the king. There in plain view was Golgirvan Gar, for any one who so elected, to regard and grow enthusiastic over. Golgirvan might be shrewd enough, but to Jürgen he suggested very little of the Lord's anointed. To the contrary, he reminded you of Jürgen's brother-in-law, the grocer, without being graced by the tradesman's friendly interest in customers. Golgirvan Gar was a person whom Jürgen simply could not imagine any intelligent deity selecting as steward. And finally, when it came to serving women, what sort of service did women most cordially appreciate? Jürgen had his answer pat enough, but it was an answer not suitable for utterance in a mixed company. No one of my honest opinions, in fact, is adapted to further my popularity in Glethion, because I am a monstrous clever fellow who does justice to things as they are, Therefore, I must remember always, in justice to myself, that I very probably hold traffic with madmen. Yet Rome was a fine town, and it was geese who saved it. These people may be right, and certainly I cannot go so far as to say they are wrong, but still at the same time. Yes, that is how I feel about it." Thus did Jurgen abide at the chivalrous court of Glathian, and conform to all its customs. In the matter of love-songs nobody protested more movingly than the lady whom he loved, quite hopelessly of course, embodied all divine perfections. And when it came to knightly service, the possession of Caliburn made the dispatching of thieves and giants and dragons seem hardly sportsmanlike. Still, Jürgen fought a little now and then in order to conform to the customs of Glathian, and the Duke of Legraeus was widely praised as a very promising young knight and all the while he fretted because he could just dimly perceive that ideal which was served in Glathian, and the beauty of this ideal, but could not possibly believe in it. Here was again a loveliness perceived in twilight, a beauty not clearly visioned. Yet am I not a monstrous clever fellow, he would console himself, to take them all in so completely? It is a joke to which, I think, I do full justice so you're going to abode among these persons to whom life was a high-hearted journeying homeward. God the Father awaited you there, ready to punish at need, but eager to forgive, after the manner of all fathers." That one became a little soiled in travelling, and sometimes blundered into the wrong lane, was a matter which fathers understood. Meanwhile, here was an ever-present reminder of his perfection incarnated in woman, the finest and the noblest of his creations. Thus was every woman a symbol to be honoured magnanimously and reverently. So said they all. Why, but to be sure, assented Jürgen. And in support of his position he very edifyingly quoted Ophelian and Fabianus Papirius and Sextius Niger to boot. End of chapter 14